Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, good morning. It's Sunday morning. And... uh, I'm going to do something about Pesach. Uh happened to do something in Shul yesterday, so I'll share it over here. This uh, is being sponsored uh, by uh, the Glucks in Lakewood, Gluck Plumbing. Uh, thank you very much. And let me get right into it. <coughs> uh, I want to title this Passover and Putin. And I'm serious. I'm not being funny. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, I'm not a big morale person, but I know some. And... Just happened to be yesterday in Shul. I said, you know, let's do uh, some of the Gvoros Hashem. I happen to have a uh, cheater book on the Gvoros Hashem. The Maral has this big, fat book. Gvoros Hashem, which goes endlessly in his style. I, I find it very boring. He repeats himself and up and down, you know. But, so in other words, the, the, the good stuff to me, to me, I'm speaking personally, is lost in the verbiage. However, I saw... In Israel, there's this guy that put out what I would call a cheater book on the on the Gvoros Hashem. I'm serious. I would tell Adano. And he did also on the, some of the other things. I remember the Mornabucham or whatever. You can't get in America at all, but thank God there's somebody in Modin named Bernie Leaftag, and he got me a, a copy, two volumes, the Gvoros Hashem. And uh, he does the morale stuff without all the repetition and so forth. And so that's what he did in Shul yesterday. Let me jump right into it with both feet. So these are some of the ideas of morale, as I understand what him to be talking about. It's fascinating. And I'll rearrange it in my own words. We're dealing with the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. We're talking about the Gauls of the Jews in Egypt. The Seder is coming. Pesach is around the corner. And so we're dealing with mega issues, big issues. The it, things I'm saying today, you will then afterwards fit into the into the language of the Haggadah. For example, the Lachmania, as you shall see. <clears throat> you know, um, the morale is interested in mega issues and in reading different chazals in a very exacting way, which is fine. And one of the points he makes, which is very interesting, is that the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim was a double situation. A, you got to let the Egyptians let them go. B, you got to make the Jews want to go. As we know, excuse me, as we know, many Jews didn't want to leave, which is a funny business. Uh, they don't want to leave. Uh, ordinarily, the simplistic way of explaining that, how come they didn't want to leave, is they got too used to being in Egypt, you know what I mean, right? In other words, life was good. On the other hand, they were Jewish. They said, but we can live in Gauls. As you and I are doing in America, those are listening to this podcast right now, you know? Or or chutzlarts or things like that, without getting into rough cook issues. Now, um, therefore, it was necessary to do double. On the one hand, you had to compel the Egyptians to, to, to let him go. And number two, yeah, they compel the make the Jews want to go. I'm thinking, for example, if you know the history of Israel, a lot of times the Mossad and these guys came in to bring these people out. A lot of them didn't want to leave. They couldn't, sometimes they'd be forced to leave. Now, once they got to Israel, they're happy they got out of there. Would you still want to be today, for example, in Iraq, you know, or places like that, or Syria? You know, they're glad to get it, but at the time, they didn't want to go. So, um... 
even if you don't go with the 20% thing, because that's one chazal, pu- literally pashup shot, pashup, pashup, pashup shot is that the whole Jewish people went. Okay? 600,000 would include all of Kal Yisrael. Um, you know, the males and so on. There is, of course, the chazal said it was only 20%, but let's go with the plain pashup shot. So the Jews didn't want to leave, but eventually they left. The morale, um, very interestingly, uh, talks about this double aspect in which it was tough to make the Egyptians let him go, it was tough to make the Jews want to go. Why? So here comes the question of what you call identity, which lies at the heart of the Poland, I'm sorry, at the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, in simple terms, the, 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 when we say that the Jews assimilated in Egypt, Memtesh, or whatever language you like, it means they no longer consider themselves Jewish. You get it? So it's very similar to what you have in American places like that now. Now, they identified as Egyptians. Maybe they knew that in terms of DNA and blood, they're originally Jewish. But what does that mean? Tell a guy today who's a guy in America, for example, or anywhere around the world. And he's been a guy for years. So notice, tell some. I'm just going to give an example. Tell somebody who's a Catholic living in Spain. You know something, buddy? And he's a regular Spanish guy. You know something, buddy? If you go back on a DNA search and so forth and so on, you'll find back in 1492, your people were originally Jewish. So what? So what? You know, say, oh, you know, 500 years ago? Like, who cares? You understand? They're not going to change who they are. It's just an interesting fact. And, you know, we this guy has roots going to the Mongols, and that guy has roots going to the Vikings. This guy's just going back to the Jews. It's got nothing to do with who we are today. Today I'm a Spanish guy. I totally identify with Spain and so forth and so on. You see, that's a mental. It's a subjective reality. But people operate on the basis of subjective realities. So, uh, in the way the morale explains it, Avram Avinu was already told the Brisbane of Asarim, Avodum V'inu Osam. So to him, if I have this right, Avodum means that they'll enslave them. And your children or descendants will be physical slaves. Fi'inu osam means, and they'll play mind games on them. No, they'll steal their identity. The real Inui. They'll consider themselves Egyptians. Uh, how this meshes together with Loshinus, Loshonim, Loshinus, I'm not sure. I strongly suspect that, you know, some didn't change their names and stuff, and others did. Okay? But, it, you know, it's not, especially with the 20% part. But it's not clear. All I know is, which is why the morale says very, very interesting to me. They have these two psukim, and I just did the first couple chapters, that's all. Just the first couple chapters in the in the Gorez in the, uh, Hashem. Uh, that there psukim in the Chumash, where it says, I took you out, Kekorah Barzel, Mimitzrayim. Then in one case, Hashem said, I took you out like. I took it from the from the furnace, from the uh, refining, smelting furnace, the crucible. Uh, and he says it's like a zahavi who takes the the, the zahav out. You know what I mean? You got to go and take a seves. I can't pick my hand and take melted gold, having purged out all the uh, stuff you refine out, all the the dross, and bringing out the gold. You have to take like a, a you know a clee to take it out. But on the other hand, he says. Uh, Hashem took you out, Lavolo me goy godol, you know, lokachas goy me care of goy. And goy me care of goy, he says, is like a shepherd who's in the farmer, and, you know, you deliver a baby. 
you and I listening to this, at least 99% of the people, if not all listening to this, are city slickers, city dwellers. We're not farmers or shepherds, anything like that. If you are, one of the things you do as a farmer is you deliver babies all the time from that, from the behemoths. You get it? How do you do that? <laughs> it's what you do. You stick your hand inside the behemoth and pull it out. And I guess the farmer learns how to do that without killing the behemoth. Either the mother or the child. Uh, and that's another muscle that Hashem does. me care of guy. Again, that's 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 a chazal. You understand? Okay, let me see how he uh, he puts it over here. If these, in other words, these are these are quotes that he's saying. Uh, uh, this is Yalka Chamoni. The same way that the smelter or the refiner of gold sticks his hand and takes the gold out of the, the furnace. And again, like a, a, a you know, an Uber, a, a baby calf or a baby animal, which is inside the mother, Haroa knows in and the shepherd has to come in, because one of the things the shepherd does is deliver babies all the time. It's one of the things you do. He has to come in with shaman and shake it up and pull it out. That's the meaning I took out, So, you know, the style of the morale is what's exactly shot the, the gold and what's exactly shot the behemoth. And what it boils down to is that one applies, one model applies to um, uh, getting the Egyptians to let him go. And the other model applies to get letting the Jews want to go, okay? Which is a very interesting way that he develops it. And uh, what it means, therefore, is that uh, to pull the Jews out, that was a misa of violence, as it were, the, the templates. That's like a, 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 a delivering a baby. Think for a second, even those of us not farmers. Think of a guy who wants to, you know, uh, deliver a, a baby calf, or a baby horse, or anything like that. Um, you know, domesticate animals. You gotta lie the thing down, you gotta put your hand in, and this and that and the other, and the screaming, and this and that and the other. It, it, it is what it is. You know, it's a bummer. Uh, the farmers do it every day. But, you know, it's it's a fairly dramatic and violent scene. And it's done by force, so to, if you know what I mean. Knows you lie, for the animal's own good, you know. The, you, you're pulling it out. And I mean, imagine if 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 a midwife has to do that with a human. I mean, they can't do it that way. It's it's it's, it's a horrible. But this is what happens. And if you don't know what you're doing, the the mother animal tucker dies. You know, it, it happens like that. Now, um, that's one model, and that's what you call the Yitzhak rhyme in the sense of forcing the Egyptians to let them go. There's no way power wanted to let them go. You had to pull it out like an animal, as we all know. There was one plague after another, and Pyro still wouldn't let him go. Even though the other Egyptians said let him go, the Khartoumim and all the rest said enough is enough, but not for Pyro. And so it had to be kicking and screaming, so to speak. But the other thing is different. The other thing is that the Jewish people themselves don't believe that they're Jewish. They totally identified with the Egyptians. That's a matter of identity. You see, that's a subjective reality, which is of supreme importance, even though it's, it's, it's something subjective. That, he says, that it could not be done by force because if somebody considers himself a guy, 
What's the point of saying, I'm taking all the Jews out and you're coming with me? I'm not Jewish. Why are you taking me with you? I don't want to go. I'm not Jewish. I'm sorry to say, if the Mashiach came today, the way things are at the moment, many Jews are like, it's not for me. And Kalva Khamer, those Jews who converted or, you know, something like that, it's not for me. It's not, it's not, it's not who I am. Okay? It's not who I am. So how do you, how do you break that? You know, how do you change people's sense of identity to say, no, you're Jewish. You're from Avram Yitzhak Yaakov and you're coming out now. You're going to another country, and getting the Torah and all the rest of it. That's like a, a violent change in the mental. And most people don't want to do that. They simply don't want to do that. Just like the Bnei Israel don't want to do that. Now, obviously, to my mind, this must be referring to those Jews that were doing well in Egypt that I talked about two months ago from the Meshach Chachma and the others. There are plenty of Jews who were not slaves in the salt mines, all the rest of it. You know, those guys, I imagine, wanted to get out. There were those who cried out and said, we can't take the, the physical avoda anymore. Get us out of here. But there were others who didn't cry out and they were doing fine. Thank you very much. And they're all part of Kla Yisrael. It's all one big group. You see what I'm saying? It's all one big group. So so what do you do? What do you do? Now, um, we say that the ones who want to leave died in the Malkas Choshev because it kind of would have been embarrassing if a bunch of Jews leave and a bunch of other Jews say, we're not Jewish, we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave. Uh, this is a well-known theme in Jewish history. I was uh, I did last week this rabbi in Italy, and then during the week, a book I had ordered before about the Jews in Italy arrived too late for, for the podcast and there's a whole chapter in there from Professor Schechter in, in England that, um, you know, when the Zionism started, for example, all these super assimilationist types were radically opposed to Zionism all the rest of it. They don't want a Jewish state to want nothing like that because we love Italy. We love France. We love Germany. You know, that's how people, when people are like that, I wouldn't say that they were, you know, at the point of denying their Jewish identity totally, but they have so submerged it. I'm talking about 120 years ago. So submerged it, it, was, it basically wasn't there. Uh, so you had something like that going on in, in Mitzrayim. That's why he says like this, you have to do like the, the gold. Consider this well. The moral says this, I can't do the same way like I do to Behemoth. The Behemoth, I stick my hand in and pull the doggone thing out. I can't stick my hand, naked hand, into a furnace and pull out the gold. It's not possible. My hand burn off. You know what I'm saying? It requires a different process of, I would say, teasing it out. You get what I'm saying? You have to lure it, draw it out, attract it out. You got to do things that'll get the Jews themselves to want to change their attitude and want to come in. So it's all, we call that nowadays Kiruv. Anybody's involved in the Kiruv knows, you can't go over to somebody and say, oh, you schmo. You're Mechal Shabbos, you Trave, you Chaleria. You better start keeping things now or I'll punch you in the nose. That's not how you do it. Right? Everybody knows the Kirov, you're talking about a long process, certainly not an overnight one. And you hope little by little you'll get the person to start keeping Shabbos a little bit. You start keeping kosher a little bit. I always say, I was once in Houston many years ago speaking and I met a guy there after the talk. And I said, what do you do? And he says, he's the airline steward. I said, you ever come to Baltimore? Eh, sometimes. Where do you stay? This in this neighborhood. I said, oh, it's far away from Jewish community. What do you do for kosher food? He said, Rabbi, it's only two, in the last two, three weeks, 
that my wife and I finally made the decision that we're going to start keeping kosher when we're in Houston. You see, that's like pulling the, the gold out. You got to go very slowly. And you have to very indirect, you know, not violently. And you have to tease it out. First, hopefully, you start keeping kosher in Houston. And then, face you start keeping kosher a little more. And then you keep start a little more until finally, at the end, you're all the way. First, you start keeping Shabbos, you know, uh, to the degree of just lighting candles. Talk to any Chabad Shliach or any Kiruv guy, you know. First, you get him to do candles, hopefully, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. You see what I'm saying? So that was the separate process that had to take place during the Esther Makas, culminating in Passover, which differs two sides. What I'm trying to say is, when you have the Seder night, we're looking at two stories. One is the one we're more familiar with, which is, that's what I call your attention today. Obviously, a power in pajamas in the middle of the night, the Makas in Egypt, you know, Dom, Sardaya, and all that business, and you talk about, you know, Yod Chazok, blah, blah, blah. No, Zerona Tuya, those kind of languages, talk about a different process, which is pulling the Jews out. So you have a conversation at the Seder table, what kind of thing did it take to persuade the Jews they want to get out of there? You see? And that couldn't be done by force, by violence, and all the rest of it. Now, those who were so stubborn that nothing would move them died in the in the Choshek. That's what we say. But everybody else, it was a work in progress. As the Dom, the Tzvardeya, the Kinah, Marv, Devash, and so on and so forth, you're, you're pulling them out. Now, to my mind, this is the powerful significance that it says over and over again by the Makas. Take a look. It says, Besamti produce ben ami Yisrael Mitzrim. Something like that, right? Like, you know, the, the hail hit here, but it didn't hit by the Jews. The Dom was over here, but the Dom hit, didn't hit by the Jews. You know what I'm saying, right? The Tzvardeya was over here, then the Jews. So if a guy was, uh, as I said before, a totally assimilated Egyptian, and he sees all of his neighbors are attacked by frogs, and my house, I'm the only Jew on the block, and my house doesn't have any frogs. Is it weird? <laughs> you see? The culmination, of course, the Makas Bechoris. All my neighbors, all my friends, because I'm assimilated, right? I identify as an Egyptian. I completely reject my Jewish identity. It's just not who I am. I'm like that Spanish guy that, you know, maybe maybe back in the time of uh, Yaakov Avinu and Yosef, maybe my ancestors were from Canaan and were Jewish and so forth. But I've been Egyptian now for a couple of days, called a couple of decades, whatever. And then I have a funny thing. Everybody on my block, the kids died and my kids didn't die. Everybody on the block got hit by, uh, you know, Choshech and I didn't get hit by Choshech. You see the double side of each plague? One side is you're hitting the Goyim and therefore that's Little by little, forcing him to let the Jews go. The other side is, you're distinguishing in a radical way that it's not hitting the Jews. And this must have been the most powerful, to my mind, the, the most powerful effect of this would be those Jews that Taka lived among the Gaim and acted like Gaim and all the rest of it. And you have a double-edged plague of it. It's, it's a wonderful interpretation because basically, what if everybody got hit by uh, lice and my house didn't get hit by lice? What do all my Geisha neighbors say to me now? You damn Jew. I, I've been an Egyptian just like everybody else. I worship their gods. I do all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, but I didn't get the lice. I didn't get the frogs. I didn't get the, 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 the Arba, whatever, you know, whatever the, the Maka was. You see? That itself, you know what I'm saying? That by itself is going to, first of all, make me feel different. Second of all, it's going to promote anti-Semitism, which is going to, understandably, I mean, if I was a guy, I'd feel the same way. 
which is going to break, or hope, hopefully, will break the uh, feeling of identity they have that I'm just another Egyptian, because I didn't have the same fate that the other Egyptians did. So whether I like it or not, you know, a guy might say like this, doggone it, why didn't I have the lice also for that week? That way I would be just like everybody else. The fact that all my neighbors and all my friends had the lice and I have the lice all of a sudden makes me separate. You see? So the Makas had both sides to them. And one is the core of Barzal or the, the, the core, you know, uh, they have to take the, the, the gold out. But through these teasing methods, it's not like after the plague was over, they say, I said, I'm totally joy. I've shaken up my sense of Egyptian identity and this is leading me slowly but surely over the course of Dom, and then Sardaya, and then Kinim, and then Orv, little by little, for me to myself to have a mental revolution, a mental revolution, and in my mind start to say, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Jew. Right? That, that way of thinking. It's a little bit like, not the same way, it did happen sometimes, for example, in the 1930s, you had some super-assimilated German Jews, when Hitler came to power and all his other junk, they said, I guess I, guess I, I guess I was mistaken. I'm not a German after all. I could have sworn I was a German. I was willing to fight in the First World War for Germany, all the rest of it. But, but now I see I'm not. So it's not a mental revolution that took over, place overnight. But over the course of 1933, 1934, 1935, 1936, and so forth, little by little, like pulling the gold out with a little by little, what we call Kirov, the Kirov operation was taking place. This is the big thesis I see in the morale. And the idea, therefore, that, that we, well, the Seder night, we have to look at both sides of the story. The effect of each plague and the whole process of the story of the Exodus as being partly towards the Goyim. That is certainly true. But also partly towards the Jews. Notice, what did it take? I think there's a good question to ask at the table, you know what I'm saying, for discussion. What kind of Jew were you talking about? Maybe you have a relative like that, for all I know. And what did it take to get this person to have a change of identity and say, I'm, I'm leaving Team A, and now I'm identifying with Team B, with, with, with the Jewish people? Uh, do you remember a couple of years ago in Hungary, the head of the Nazi party, whatever his name was, ended up becoming a Lubavitcher? Because then he found that he was Jewish, and by the time they finished with him, he completely rechanged re his identity. He used to be identifying, feeling like, He's from the Goyim and different the Nazis, and then things changed, <laughs> and he, he and, and you know now he identifies as as Jewish, and he, and he took it full, full force. He became a Lubavitcher, I think he did. Um, now I'll tell you where this is. Uh, Do you hear hear the Vortis going over there? Incidentally, the morale makes a big deal, um, or at least I did, I should say, in quoting a very interesting Sifra, towards kind of on on uh, the Medish one thing on uh, you know. Baikra, um, and uh, it's 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 really interesting to me in three ways. This is a medrash that's it, where, and I invite you to take a look at it uh, if if you can get a sifra. Uh, if you have the if you have the set with the malbim, the malbim is on the sifra. That's what the malbim. Malbim is not really a commentary in the book of Baikra. It's commentary on, on the uh, on the sifra, the medrash halacha, which is on Baikra. And if you go to chapter 17 of Vayikra, it says, Kamaseyer, it's Mitzrayim, Asher Yishavtan Bolus, Asu, Kamaseyer, it's Kanan, Ashani, maybe it's Kamshamalus, Asu, and all that, which we read, of course, in a few weeks, and uh, on Yom Kippur, and it's Darius, right? And it starts, it prefaces by saying, Don't do like Kamaseyer, it's Mitzrayim, 
and don't do Kamaiseret's Kanan. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So he says, Kamaiseret's Mitzvah Mashesh, Avdan Balusasu. So on that, the Sifra says, remember, this is an old Medrash pre Gemara, right? This is not from Medrash Rabbah, Medrash Agatha. This is from the Sifri Sifra. This is from the Sifra, from uh, Tana Edik. And it says, Minayin Shlohaisa Umma Bumas Olam, Shehes Ivu, my same Yosem in Mitzrim. When it says that, um, it's saying that you have to understand in terms of to'eva, any kind of perversion, any kind of sexual business, uh, that their mycin were more to'evatic, more uh, disgusting, more than the Egyptians. No, the Egyptians are the ones who hit rock bottom. The Egyptian society, okay, the Egyptian culture. So when these Jews that I'm talking about are identifying with Egypt, they're identifying with Egypt not in its glorious phase, but in its decadent phase. Now that's an expression I'm speaking about. I'm Jewish, so I'm calling it a decadent phase. They didn't see it that way, but they didn't have every kind of sexual perversion and all the rest of it, almost as bad as the USA today. And the generation of Egyptians... At the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Dorachim, the last generation with whom the Jews had the contact, the Paro and everybody time of Moshe Rabbeinu, was at rock bottom until a rock bottom. So notice, whatever pervert type thing you can think of, they hadn't come up before, they had come up by the time you get to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is just interesting. So Moshe Rabbeinu grows up as a prince in the palace, as they say. <laughs> How should I put it? You know, he, he saw a lot. <laughs> right? Moshe did not grow up in Ain Brock. He's not Chaim Kanyeski, you know? He saw a lot because the Dor Achwan was his Ivu Maseim, they were into the Toevas Yosemakulam. So even by the standards of Egyptians, they came up with new crazy ideas. And then comes the most interesting phrase. Again, listen closely. Uminayan, Shayeshivasan Shal Yisrael. That the fact that Claudia was dwelling among them caused all these things. What the heck does that mean? The Jews are the ones who led them to all the perversion stuff. Now, me, myself, and I, when I read it, yes, I say yes. Unfortunately, you find, like in modern times, these left wing Jews are leading all the pervert stuff. This is, this is a, uh, a major reason of cultural anti Semitism. For the last two hundred fifty years, I'm sorry to say, you know, uh, you know, any, any new toyva they come up with, some some Yiddish thing. Uh, uh, that's what said to me. I was like, remarkable, but I know that the classing of fortune are not going to go in that direction. So that's like a twenty first century way of looking at it. Although I, I think so. So uh, when it comes to the Sifra, and this is a core text for Pesach, right? I mean, Kamasi is in Samashesh Adwa. Shloya Homos, Shesibiosim in Misraim. Dor Achron was even worse. Makam in Goshen was worse than all of them. And in other words, where the Jews lived in Goshen, the Egyptians were mamish into all kind of junk. And Yeshivas and Shesra, and and the fact that the Jews lived there caused that. So, uh, I, you know, it, it caught my attention. When you look at a Sifra, if you want to figure out what that gets flying, there's like a few classic sources, uh, if you know. Uh, there's Rabbeinu Hillel uh, from the Rishonim time. There's the Carbon Aaron, which I like very much. There's the Malbim, of course. 
You know, those are those are like the, the the classics. And so I took the trouble this morning to pull it out. And indeed, the carbonara, which is very big, very myrich. It's a, I like it. It's I used to use it for the art school um, when I did it. Anything you could probably think up in terms of the perversion they, they had at that time. So you know, there's, there's no, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to get into the details, there's no uh, thing that you could think up that they didn't have at that time. And it goes on and on and on. And um, then he says, but why did the Jews cause it? What does that mean? Zehaloshan Koshabainai. The other way around. So he's a real from me. You know, so he doesn't do like that. But at the bottom, he brings from the Bainu Hillel, who says that um, this is a very spiritual uh, interpretation. The Bainu Hillel, wherever the tomb is, you don't want to have, there's not going to be the Kedusha. So, very interesting. It's very from. He's saying that the Egyptians knew that there's no way the Egypt, that the Jewish slaves can get out except by divine intervention. The Shina would have to come into Egypt. So they figure like this. You get so doggone perverted that it makes the perverts look like nothing. In other words, it's going to make X-rated look like G. And if we go weiter than that, then Hashem will not be able to stand this disgusting stuff. The Shina, he will stay out of Egypt because it's just too antithetical for the Kedusha to descend into that kind of a tumor. Uh, you get it? So that's why Yeshivas and Yisrael Garmelahem the fact that the Jews were there and the Egyptians wanted to keep them enslaved, that's what led the Egyptians to super pervert it out so that Hashem wouldn't do it. And in that case, the nace of Purim is even bigger. And Hashem said like this, even, to use human terminology, he says, I'm willing to go into Mitzrayim to bring the Jews out, even if I have to hold my nose. You know, see, I'll, to get the claw, I'll even I'm even going to do that, which means Hashem put himself in a in a what we would call an uncomfortable position. That's a very spiritualistic <coughs> interpretation, very spiritualistic interpretation. Uh, so I said to myself, let me check out the Rivid because he's probably the best. Uh, on, I, I usually see he's usually the best on the, the Sifra, the Ravid has a, uh, the Ravid, the famous Rishon, has a comedy of Sifra. Um, where are you going to get the Ravid? You know, the Chavitz the, the, the Chavitz Chaim Pirish uh, is mostly from the Ravid. Uh, the Chavitz Chaim published a Sifra, you know, it's part of his Kutchim campaign, what, around 1900, the Chavitz Chaim was pushing Kutchim, you know that. Uh, that's where all the Kutchim stuff and the Brisk and so started. And, um, uh, part of his sifra because that's the ichor on on the you know on the kachim business and uh, uh, the, the, and, he, and I see he published the rabbit anyway for those of you listening out there it's in Menachem Kasher get it if you get the Torah Shlema which I've spoken about from time to time and I know some of you have written to me that they bought a set and all that 
So one of the nice things about Menachem Kasha, about the Torah Shlema on Vayikra parts, is that he includes in there not only his regular stuff, which is, of course, you know, the collection of all the Chazals on the on Vayikra, I mean all, but he also throws in the Chavetz uh, Chaim, he also throws in the um, the Chavetz Chaim book, basically. In other words, you get the Sifra with the commentary of the Chavetz Chaim in it, uh, and a lot of it is heavily based on the Ravid. And so, to cut to the to the chase, for those who are interested, it's in the... Well, you'll see it if you get their Perk Yerches Pasuk base, I guess, uh, where it says... That the dwelling of Kalisrong Egyptians caused them to go super pervert. Pirish may also avon Shashibdi Yisrael. Again, very spiritualistic. Hashem punished them from the very fact that the Jews were um, enslaved there. Boli de Averis Alalu. So Hashem made it or allowed it that their civilization would follow a natural process of decadence. They get worse and worse. So that they would, I'll pee, Yosher and Mishpat deserve to be destroyed. So in other words, the Egyptians weren't bothering anybody. They had their religion, their way. It wasn't super perverted, it was just a Vodazara. Then they enslaved the Jews. And then you find that, like I say, all the X-rated stuff looks like G. They go Viter and Viter and the pervert stuff. Now Hashem said, since you're, you're since you're t- torturing the Jews, I'm not going to block the usual things that Hashem does to make it that the society doesn't get more perverted, and you'll get more perverted. And therefore, I'll be mishpat. You'll deserve kloya, and that will allow me to take the Jews out and destroy you. It's uh, like I say, again, very spiritualistic kind of way of doing it. The reason I'm sharing with this, you know, first of all, it's interesting, but second of all, maybe you can do better, you know, in a way that would appeal more to an American audience at a Seder table. The um, the Malbim also takes a whack at it, and, you know, he's the one this Pusik my series is trying me a lot, and he's uh, wondering over here, uh, what does it mean that the, that the Yeshivasam dwelled over there? Shemitzat Shiyashu Sham that he wants to say the Yeshivas and Shisro Garmalahem, I guess he must re- be reading it, that the fact that Jews lived in the Gaisha neighbors is what is what caused them to go so bad into the Menta Shari Which is a little bit different way of reading the Sifra. I'm sharing this with you to call this text to your attention. Anybody wants to do some interesting work on the Sayer, uh, you know, next time you're in show or something like that. Pull that one and be mine at it and see what you come up with. Uh, see what you come up with. Now, let me connect this. So, in other words, you have this two-sided narrative. And I think that's a very interesting, creative way uh, to think about and approach the the um, the Seder. Just off the top of my head. Just off the top of my head. This Oni. I just told you before. The Enoi... Is the Jewish problem that the Jews got assimilated? You understand? Or, or, or assimilate's not the right word. That they lost their identity. So Lachmaanya, maybe we're crying over the fact that the Jews lost their identity. But Avil became 
Hashem took him out anyway. Haven't worked that out totally in my head yet, but that's I'm thinking along those lines based on this approach of the morale. You get what I'm saying? Now, hold on for a second. Uh, now, let me uh, connect this with the current events because I find it fascinating. First of all, if you want a good example of a guy who's screwed up in terms of his identity, it's Zelensky, right off the top of bed. It's not a question whether I'm favoring the Ukraine or Russia. That's not the point. They should not invade Ukraine, all right? Good. But here's a perfect guy that would have been in the time of Mitzrayim, to, to my mind. As you know, he's married to a guy. I heard his kids are baptized or something like that. He's playing around with the identity only now in order to get Israel and the Jews on the side and all the rest of it. Ask this guy, Zelensky, what are you? Who are you? Honestly, you know, cutting away all the bull and not the, with the in front of the cameras for PR. What are you? He'd probably be all screwed up. I'm Ukrainian. I know I have Jewish background. But I didn't move to Israel. I, I don't know. You, you see what I'm saying? And when you ask him about his family and the Holocaust, based on news reports I've read, it's like pulling teeth. You know, it's, it's like trying to get the gold out of the, the crucible. You have to, 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 to do it little by little. Let's put it this way. If you assign the Kira professional full-time to Zelensky, and he was willing to do so, I'm serious now. Maybe at the end of a little by little, slow process, be able to pull him out and bring out the Jewish side, even though he's married to a guy, but, you know, pull out, pull out the Jewish side. It's Yacholiot. But you couldn't expect a guy like that to just, boom, punch him in the nose, and all of a sudden he's going to identify as Jewish. It's, it's, it's too complicated for that. That's the history of the Ukraine in the 20th century, with all the junk that happened. Now, that's a little piece. Here's the bigger piece. What exactly is the war all about? Putin, I think you know this, Putin is saying the Ukraine is really part of Russia. The Ukrainians are Russians, therefore we want them back. The Ukrainians saying, no, we're not. <laughs> right? No, we're not. Putin says, yes, you are. So, from his point of view, it's like the Jews are looking at the Jews in Egypt. Really, you should identify with Kla Yisrael. But they don't want to. They don't want to. And those are the ones who died in Makas Koshech. Putin is saying, you don't have the right identity. Your identity has been stolen from you, messed up from you. I don't know how the heck he does it. But um, really, you should want to, 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 to be Russian. But he is not doing, like we say in the Maral, like Hashem did. He's applying the tactics of the shepherd to a situation re which requires the pulling out of the gold. He's doing by violence and force because he's a Russian Kham. That's all they know in Russia, you know. Violence and domination. So just like the shepherd is sticking his hand inside and pulling out the baby, kicking and screaming, despite all the, the, the blood and all the rest of it, that's how it should be. So Putin obviously launched a full-scale invasion with the bombing and all the rest of it to, to make you, you know, uh, uh, acknowledge your true identity, you see? Whereas really, it's counterproductive. I can tell you right now, Lodori Doris, the Ukrainians are going to remember this. This, if anything, reinforcing the opposite, they're going to see themselves not Russian. The Russians will come to rape us, to, to, to conquer us. They messed this up over in history that Putin is just like another Stalin. as going to be counterproductive. If he really wanted to win them over, he would have to do it with the Kora Barzal way. He'd have to say little by little, try to provide incentives, try to emphasize the positive. I don't know. It's, a, it's not my job to go and work for Russia and, you know, uh, reorient the mindset and the identities of all the Ukrainians. I have another job. But that's what it will require. So 
to use the wrong tactics is kind of productive. This is mamish what we're seeing. We're seeing Russians, or Putin anyway, trying to apply this strong, violent pull, uh, where what you really need is the, the, the Zahavi, the Pechami, the, 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 the idea of little by little burning out the dross, pulling the gold out with, with, with a delicate instrument, uh, you know, stick your hand in. Uh, it, in other words, it was hard for Hashem, maybe harder, maybe harder, to, to, to pull the Jews out of their, their uh, mistaken identity than it was to force the Egyptians out. You understand? Because Egypt, let's put it this way, he could have gone, instead of going 1 to 100, he could have gone to 100. He could have done right, start up with the Makkah's Bechorahs. That probably would have busted them, I imagine. You know, I imagine. Uh, but he didn't do that because uh, it, you have to degrade it to little by little, you're pulling out the Jews. The reason you have templates, you're pulling out the Jews, and you have to little by little, you know, see these processes proceed along the lines that I just described. I think it's kind of cute, and I think that would make for a very interesting discussion at the Seder. I'll just end with one ha'or, and that is uh, a perfect, it's like a mita, connected mita. The Egyptians uh, stole the identity of the Jews. Uh, maybe 80%, you know, I mean, that's a lot, if you go with that vart. Maybe 80% of the Jews perished in the in the in the in the Chayshik. In which case the Egyptians really screwed us over. And then Midakinegami, this has happened to Mitzrayim. The country of Mitzrayim today is the same people in the same place that it was thousands of years ago, if you go historically. Now they lost their identity long ago. They consider themselves Arabs. The Arabs conquered them in the seventh century. That's a historical fact. Everybody knows, including them. When the Arabs came there, they conquered Egypt, they basically raped the country, and they destroyed the old civilization and replaced it with an Islamic one. So, today, everybody in Egypt doesn't talk Egyptian, they talk Arabic. And, they don't have their own religion, they have the Arab religion from the desert. You see, the Mohammed stuff. Now, from a strictly theological Jewish point of view, it's a, it's a plus. You know, you believe in one God, but I'm talking about from the Egyptian identity point of view. An Egyptian today doesn't say, hey, why should I be part of the Arab world? Heck with the Arabs. Screw them. They, 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 they conquered our country and destroyed our thing and imposed their language and their culture and their religion even upon us. We should uprise against them and restore the old Egyptian thing. But they don't do that. Because they're so shakua in the Arab conquestism, they're like the Jews of the 80%. They identify as Arabs. That is what they honestly do. They identify as Arabs. They know intellectually that they were conquered and, and misused by others, but since they are so into their Arab identity, they don't change. I remember there were a few Egyptian intellectuals, I think in the 30s and 40s, some professors, highly, um, uh, you know, not representative, where they tied to what I said. They said, why are we doing the Arab stuff? We should try to recover the old Egyptian stuff. Let me put it this way. If the Rabbani Shalom wants to have a, well, how shall I put it, a good laugh, it can make the whole Islamic threat go away tomorrow because all, all of a sudden all the, just put a ruach in all these Arab countries which aren't really Arab. Only Saudi Arabia is Arab. So all of a sudden Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Egypt and Libya and Tunisia and Algeria and Morocco say, We're not, why are we doing the Arab junk? They, they conquered us. They messed us over. We're going to declare ourselves independent and going back to our original roots. And then, you know, then, then the whole... It would be a very interesting play out, you understand? 
It'd be a very interesting play out, and it would affect Israel in very, very interesting ways. Um, meanwhile, that's not happened. But it's a major... I'm simply pointing out to you that the kind of themes that the morale is talking about just at the beginning of the book, first two, three chapters, are universal themes. They're highly... Um, uh, what's the right word? Vital. Is You know, they have a vitality down the centuries. And uh, and we still deal with it today because, like I said before, a lot of people are not going to have a Seder this year. They just don't identify being Jewish, even though they are Jewish. So it's a, a very interesting kind of a process. Anyway, those are just a few thoughts I had, uh, which I think are overall arching themes, overarching themes, and uh, would go for an intelligent discussion. Um, at the Seder, once again, I want to conclude by thanking Gluck Plumbing for uh, enabling me to do these. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.